0: You might not be aware, but Mormonism originated in the 1820s in western New York during a period known as the Second Great Awakening. Nothing at all like the First Great Awakening with Jonathan Edwards. After praying about which denomination he should choose, Joseph Smith Jr. said he received a vision in the spring of 1820 called the First Vision Smith claimed God instructed him to join none of the existing churches because they were all wrong. Smith reported several angelic visitations and was eventually told that God would use them to reestablish the true Christian church and that the Book of Mormon would be the means of establishing correct doctrine for the restored church. Well, Long before that religious movement ever took place, John and the church in Ephesus faced the same kind of demonic assault upon the gospel and the church. It was a very similar religious movement. It was an assault that was insidious. It was subtle. It was deceitful. And it left many in this church wondering if the gospel that they had been believing was true. The false teachers of Ephesus, who used to be members of the Ephesian church, through their false teaching brought gossip and slander and division and lies. And John's purpose in writing his letter, his epistle, was to assure these believers that were remaining in the Ephesian church, that they were genuine members of God's family because they were genuinely born again. They were saved because the gospel they believed was true. In fact, in John 5.13, this is what John writes. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That was John's purpose in writing this letter to these folks in Ephesus. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, the gospel that you believed, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants his reader, he wants these dear folks, these folks that he has been a pastor to, a shepherd to, who he deeply loves, he wants to assure them that they belong to Christ and the family of God. And he re- repeatedly throughout this letter gives two ways in which they will know, in which they can know that they are genuine believers. And the first one is, do they walk in the light obeying God's commands. And we have talked about that in, in, in 1 John 1 and 2 and, and 3, and beginning of 3. And, that is, and this is 1 John 2. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. John writes so that they will know and be assured that they are genuine believers. And how do they know that they're genuine believers? Well, the first way is you walk in the light. You obey the commands of God. And then this morning in our passage in 1 John 3, he gives the second reason. And that is that we walk in love towards one another. And turn with me to 1 John 3 and let's read this passage together. following up on what Devin shared so well last week. This is what John writes. For this is, in verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Father, thank you for your written word that you have given this to us that we might hear you speak day by day. And this morning in particular, Lord, as as I preach your word, as we study this passage, we ask that you would speak to each one of us and that you would give us the ability to hear your voice clearly through your word. And Lord, as we hear your voice, may we encounter your presence. May we encounter your goodness. May we encounter your love for us. May we encounter your truth that we might change and be transformed more into the image of Christ. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would simply help me to communicate your truth in a manner that serves your people. In Christ's name, amen. A common phrase in John's letter, as we will see today, is he says, we know, or by this we know. And what John is wanting to communicate is that we will know by what he is saying, by the things that we are doing, in other words, by our obedience to his commands, by walking in the light and by walking in love, by these things we will know if we are genuine believers, if we are assured, we can be assured of our salvation. And, and simply what John is saying is if we live rightly, we will behave rightly. And this will give us assurance that our faith is. Genuine, And so the second thing that John says, not just do we walk in the light and obey his commands. The second thing John says is, look, do you walk in love by the way you treat others? Do you walk in love? And in this passage in, in 1 John 3, 11 through 18, John points out that they will know they are members of God's family if they not only walk in the light, but they walk in love. You will know you belong to the family of God. I grew up thinking I was adopted. One day, it was 10 years old, I think I was in third or fourth grade, and something had happened at home, and I remember my teacher asking me what was wrong, and I just said, my parents don't like me, I'm adopted. And my teacher's like, you're adopted? And so the next thing I know, there's a phone call with the principal, my parents are at school, and they're saying, He's not adopted, and I'm, I am adopted. My parents don't like me. And so that began sort of this family joke of Larry being adopted. And a year later, we, my, my dad and I were at the University of Maryland. There were 22,000 Cub Scouts there for this big thing, and I was one of them, and I got lost. And it took my dad about six hours to find me. And when I got into the car my dad made some comment about adopted. And I was then sure, I am adopted. And now I have a, a younger brother who looks exactly like my mom's father, my grandfather. And I have an older brother who looks exactly like my dad's father, my other grandfather. And I look like nobody. So I have told my mom Prior to when she passed away, I kept telling her, look, just tell me who my real dad is. And if he's rich, I'll share it with you. And, but of course, my mom would always insist you are not adopted. Well, here in John's letter, there's no confusion on his part about who is in the family of God and who is not. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, which Devin shared with you last week, In verse 10, he makes it very clear how we can know whose family we are in. Verse 10 of of chapter 3, John writes, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. If you don't walk in the light and obey his commands, and if you do not love his your brother. You are not of the family of God. You are not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. He makes it very clear. And in verse 11, John now takes us further into understanding what this love for one another looks like. Do, do we love like Christ or do we hate one another like Cain who murdered his brothers? And, and here's my proposition for you this morning. If If you want to be assured that you are in God's family, you must not hate like Cain, but love like Christ. If we want to be assured that we are in God's family, we must not hate like Cain, but love like Christ. John wants to teach us what biblical love is so we can be assured that we belong to Christ. And and here are my main points. First one is, don't hate one another like Cain. Pretty simple. Don't hate one another like Cain, which John tells us in this passage. And secondly, the second point is love one another like Christ. So don't hate one another like Cain. Look at starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now before any discussion about what we are to do, how we are to act, how we are to live, John wisely begins his passage on love with an explanation or a reminder of the gospel. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning. He, he takes his reader back to the, the gospel and what they first heard, so that they will, they will build upon this foundation of the love of Christ, who died. For them this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is the basis of our love, and as John states in his letter in, in 1 John 4:19, we love because he first loved us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. We love because he first loved us. The love that John boldly requires of us is a love grounded in Christ's love. For us. So before he commands us to love, he tells us why we can love. And then he moves on to verse 12. And here is everything that is not Christian love. John vividly illustrates that Cain-like hatred is the antithesis of Christ-like love. With an illustration straight from Scripture, straight from Genesis Chapter 4. We should not be like Cain, John writes, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Here is this tragic story of Cain and Abel in the very first murder in history. And why does Cain murder Abel? Is it jealousy? Is it envy? Well, John lets us know he murdered his brother because he saw his brother's righteousness, a righteousness that pleased God and incensed Cain. Cain hated Abel because Abel was a believer. It was that simple. His offering to God was acceptable because it was one of faith and Cain's offering was not one of faith. And, and John is just very clear. We should not be like Cain. And then he, he goes on to verse 13 and he kind of drops in this verse that seems a bit out of character with the rest of the verse. He says, and don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It might seem a bit out of place, but, but it is a reminder to us from John that the world will see our faith and hate us, just like Cain hated Abel when he saw his faith. In other words, being loving Christians will not always get the response we want from our friends and family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Being loving Christians does not guarantee that we, they will respond in kind. John's counsel is, don't, don't be surprised when the world reacts to your Christian love. Just like Cain reacted to Abel's faith. So the world will be acting the same way towards your faith. Don't be surprised about that. And in fact, when the world does respond that way, that should give you assurance That you belong to God's family. That you are not like Cain. Robert Yarbrough in his commentary says this. He says, Hate characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. Those who are not like Cain have passed, John goes on to say in verse 14, we know, we know, here's that one of those no, we know if we're believers, if we're genuine Christians, we know that we have passed out of death into life Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother... Is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Those who are not like Cain have passed from death to life. Here is the gospel story all over again. John's letter is filled with with gospel references, just a reminder of what is behind his commands to walk in light, his commands to obey the Lord's commands, his commands to walk in love. We've passed from death to life. They, these folks that John writes to, they've experienced the permanent change from a state of lostness to a state of being st- saved. That's gospel transformation. This is what it means to go from being Cain-like, which is exactly the way we were like prior to coming to faith in Christ. We were Cain-like to being Christ-like. We can be assured that we're Christians If we love, if we do not love, we can be assured. John writes here in verse 14 and 15, that we do not have eternal life in us. Now, listen, John is writing to Christians. He's not publishing in some magazine that just anybody reads. He's writing to a believing church. And that might seem a bit odd, especially because he talks about hating like Cain and murdering like Cain and abiding in death if we do not love. But John comes in with a punch, in a sense, from out of the blue that that should rock us on our heels because he is writing to believers and he is saying if we hate, and in particular, if we hate another Christian, we are murderers. And we're not genuine believers. And we do not have eternal life. That's how stark and blunt John's position is. Now, why tell this story of Cain to the church? Now, it would be a a church that would be very familiar with the Old Testament, very familiar with the story of Cain, story of Abel, very familiar. Because the reason he writes, there's ample evidence to suggest that the church often fails to love one another. Now in this context, John is primarily referring to the, the men who were false teachers, who were trying to divide the church, who were trying to separate and, and were, were slandering and gossiping about the church. And so, so they, they, were, they were living like Cain. And John is making a clear case, a clear argument that these folks that left the church were not genuine believers because of the way they were undermining the gospel, because they were the way they were trying to change the gospel, and because of the way they were dividing the church of God. But these are timeless words, and, and these are words that, that transfer down through the centuries to us. Don't be like Cain. Do not hate the brothers. Now, it's not literally true that if we don't love someone, we're physically murdering them. But the imagery is very powerful. John uses similar imagery and, in a sense, hyperbole like Jesus did in Matthew 5.21. He says that if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of murder. And like Jesus, John is using overstatement to make his point, to, to make sure we get his point. Christians should never act this way. There are no excuses. There are no rationalizations. There are no justifications. There's no unique reasons to treat other Christians in an unloving manner in action or attitude. The boundaries are clear. We must never hate another believer, and we must not just accept the bare minimum. I don't hate them, but I'm really having trouble loving them. That's not always easy. Let's be honest. There are Christians we don't like. They may be sitting right next to you. (laughs) And typically the ones who laugh agree. (laughs) (laughs) There are Christians who have hurt us. There are Christians who we deeply struggle with and want nothing to do with them. Sometimes it's members of our own church who say the wrong thing or forget to do something or disagree with us in a disagreeable fashion who don't invite us to the gathering at their house, who forget to greet us on Sunday morning, or simply someone who is so different, so unlike us, we just don't want to be near them. We can be guilty of hating others when when we ignore them. In other words, we act like they're dead. And in the same way, it's like Cain, who murdered his brother. We can murder someone in our heart and act like they don't exist. Or we can say something about another person that tarnishes their reputation. Not only gossip and slander, but it is character assassination. We can speak sarcastically about them or to them, we can silently live with anger in our hearts towards them. These and many other ways are Cain like in attitude and actions. And John simply says that is hatred and murder and not the way a genuine believer acts. Do not hate like Cain. John Stott says this in his commentary, he says, Hate is negative, seeks the other person's harm and leads to activity against him, the Internet, even to the point of murder, character assassination. Love is positive, it seeks the other person's good and leads to activity for him, even to the point of self-sacrifice. As Cain has been given as a supreme example of hate, Christ is presented as the supreme example of love. True love is not only revealed in the supreme sacrifice, it is expressed in all lesser givings. Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life, to enrich the life of another. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. I'm sure you don't know anybody like that. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Now, when when I read those lists of exasperating and uninteresting and depraved and unattractive, and and you know, you mind might go to thinking of one other person, but do you ever think that could be you to somebody else? And so John's point is this. If you are a genuine believer, do not hate like Cain. Secondly, if you are a genuine believer, love one another like Christ. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Here is the central defining image of love and a living illustration of the gospel that we read about in verse 11, the message that we heard from the beginning. This is the nature of love. Laying down our life on the cross is what Christ did for us. Paying our debt for our sin. Dying for us. For giving us and reconciling us to the Father. Suffering death suffering horribly this is the example that john gives us that's what love is the nature of love self-sacrificial love this is the nature william booth founder of the salvation army once sent a one-word telegraph to encourage his officers around the world it was simply this others Salvation Army workers were known for their unselfish commitment to others. And it's been told that on May 29th, 1914, the Empress of Ireland sank with 167 Salvation Army officers on board. There were over 1,500 on the ship. Over 1,000 died. 167 Salvation Army officers. 109 of those officers drowned. And not one body that was picked up of the Salvation Army officers had a life preserver on. The few survivors told how the salvationists, finding that there were not enough life preservers for all, took off their own, strapped them on, even strong men saying, I can die better than you can. Their battle cry, others, was heard around the world. Now, when we think about laying down our lives, stories like this come come to the forefront, and, and it's what we often think about. And this is the ultimate sacrifice, but it's one that most of us will never make. So what is John expecting of us here? How how can we lay down our lives for one another? How can we love like Christ by laying down our lives for one another? Well, in verse 17, John just gets real practical with us. But... If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Pretty practical. Being like Christ is not martyrdom, but material provision. Provision is what John is saying. Not a lofty death, but a humble giving of ourselves to supply the needs of others. And we see this again and again in our own church. Just recently, one family whose furniture was all ruined by mold, their care group got together and, and, and took a, a, a collection, an offering for this family. And over $1,000 was given to this family to buy new furniture. That, that's, that's what these folks were doing. And, and John goes on to explain it more explicitly. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Laying down our lives is practical, it's simple, and it's often mundane in nature. You get the call on Friday night. I'm moving tomorrow morning. I need help. And a group of people show up. You move into a new home and the church shows up with with food and help and it's like practical needs being met. Again and again, this is what love looks like. Maybe there is that moment where someone can lay down their lives physically. Now, it never has the meaning of Christ's death on our behalf but it has meaning, but it's rare. But life in the church and the laying down of life for one another, it's just a daily, practical, personal exercise. It's not rocket science. Or as they say the University of Maryland, it's not rocket surgery. (laughs) Douglas O'Donnell says this, What is not needed is religious rhetoric, but a looking out for the interests of others in a hands-on and hands-out way. Heavenly love has an earthiness about it. I like the way he says that. It has an earthiness about it. Christ's incarnational love in Christians makes apathy towards brothers and sisters in need intolerable. Brotherly love is as tangible as a roof over the head, as edible bread on the table, and as foundational as shoes on the feet. In Philippians 2, Paul gives us an example of incarnational love, just daily love. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, so if there's any encouragement in Christ That's loving like Christ. This is how practical love is at Grace Church. We just don't talk about love. We do it. Love provides for others. It personally cares for others. It lives patiently with others. We care for our church family. We care for their reputations. We care for their material needs. We care for their spiritual needs. We love love like Christ. We do not hate like Cain. Now, application for this message, the entire message is application the entire message throughout this passage john has given us practical advice on what we should do to show our faith as genuine and to assure our hearts that we are saved in verse 11 he says we should love one another in verse 12 he says we should not be like cain in verse 13 do not be surprised that the world hates you for your faith in verse 16 we should lay down our lives like christ in verse 17 we should not close our hearts to those in need in verse 18 we must love in word and deed if you need application just read the passage. It's right there. Listen, Cain raised an angry hand to destroy his brother. Christ took a gentle hand and stooped low to wash the feet and serve his brothers. John wants us to be like Christ. And may we forever be like Christ in our love in our deeds and and may we fulfill the words of John 13:35 which is why we are here by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another it's why grace church exists that we might proclaim to a world that is in darkness and is perishing and is in anguish and torment and turmoil and pain, that we might proclaim the goodness of God represented in Jesus Christ. And by the way we love one another, all people will know that we are his disciples. Father, thank you that you loved us first, that we might love one another. Lord, we're grateful that we are recipients of your love, a love that tells us your mercies are new every morning and your love is steadfast and never ceases. Lord, help us to keep our love steadfast that you may be glorified and your creation may be cared for. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.